Shut up and sit down. I did say, I did write this down. Leia is serving Michelin Man throughout this flick. <laughs> Welcome to Popcraft, where we'll autopsy the screenplays behind your favorite films and TV shows. I'm your host, Carl Albert, and sitting here with me today is Hannah Shashelsky. Hannah is uh, someone who is very lucky because she is a product <laughs> of sexy nepotism, as I like to call it. It's a, it's a really <laughs> old art in this town of Hollywood. Um, she's my girlfriend. <laughs> oh! Yeah, and so she's so, so very lucky to be on this podcast, to be the very first oh. guest on this podcast. But she's also a screenwriter in her own right. <laughs> And a very talented one, uh, one who really, I think, specializes in uh, romance and characters, which makes her pretty much the perfect guest to bring on for the most character-driven and the most romantic of Star Wars movies, The Empire Strikes Back. Thank you for that introduction that was almost entirely about yourself. I'm, I'm very talented in that way. <laughs> so we'll begin where we left off uh, with the last episode, which is to say... With the hero's journey, and if you hear clanking, this is our, our first time with a new setup, so this will be a really uh, an interesting experience. I'm throwing shit. Um, <laughs> and by new setup, I, I really do mean, of course, the first real podcast setup, because the other one I just recorded standing up at my desk, my standing desk. So uh, this is really fancy shit. Um, anyway. <laughs> you haven't told them what this fancy shit is, which is the two of us sitting on opposite on my... <laughs> ends of a couch <laughs> with microphones in front of us. The clanging is because I can't <laughs> fucking not clang my glass on the shelf. Just for posterity, um, Hannah's mic is right in her face. Oh my God. And she's really loud. So Okay, don't record all this. <laughs> Edit all this out later. This shit's not even cute. It's just annoying. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, the hero's journey. Right. So if A New Hope kind of fits within the sort of the first act of the hero's journey, which is the departure, we begin then The Empire Strikes Back, which fits like a glove with act two of the hero's journey, the initiation. So we'll just go through this real quick to recap sort of from the last episode. The first step in the second act of the hero's journey is the road of trials, which often involves three trials. Now, for Luke Skywalker, our hero, the first is his encounter with the giant yeti thing, which I cannot remember the name, and I do not have the screenplay in front of me, so it's just the giant yeti thing. Um, give me a sec. You keep doing your thing. The second trial is, <laughs> of course, the Battle of Hoth, and then the third is finding Yoda. From there, we go to the next step, which is uh, meeting with the goddess, which the freaky thing in this is I, I talked a lot in the last episode that meeting with the goddess focuses typically on a figure with uh, what a Jungian like female archetype, but Yoda is the I, goddess in this case. I was gonna ask, there's no way, but you're so right. Yeah, Yoda's the, the Yoda's really the sexy, nurturing goddess figure. Um, Real lady in the lake shit with who, him. Who, you know, is granting Luke a boon and the boon is like kicking his ass and hermit Yoda force training. Um, and then we move on to uh, the temptation, woman is the temptress. Which some people, I was actually reading up online, some people think the romance between Han and Leia is this. But that, first of all, it doesn't make any that sense. That doesn't Second make any all, sense. Doesn't isn't really tied to Luke at all. Like their love triangles hardly ever actually built up. But I think it's Luke uh, having the vision of Han and Leia being in trouble and leaving. If his grander arc is about him kind of mastering the Force, like growing up, becoming a Jedi, 
then that's him leaving that journey behind to save his friends. So I think actually his temptation is going to save his friends. You know, mm. that's what Woman is the Temptress is all about, is uh, seducing the hero away from their main adventure, their main goal. Then, of course, you have the Atonement with the Father, which Empire, it's literally Luke discovering Darth Vader is his father. He's his daddy, if you will. And There's no way that's not exactly where George Lucas got that from, too. That yeah. he, like, got to oh, the yeah. point where he was like, what's it called again? Atonement with the Atonement. Father. Yeah. yeah. You can tell he gets to atonement with the father and is like, <laughs> wait a second, <laughs> I have the best idea you've ever heard. <laughs> it's like in that moment is the moment that Darth Vader becomes Luke's father. <laughs> well, it's crazy too, is like he apparently, I mean, this is just the story behind it. I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently when he was making the first movie, he didn't know yet that Darth Vader was Luke's father, at least when he was writing the first movie. Yet Darth Vader in German means dark father. So I feel like it had to have been in his head or something, but apparently it wasn't. Anyway, uh, so that's a tone with the father. Luke gets his ass kicked by Darth Vader, you know, gets further temptation to the dark side, which is also sort of the, the potential woman as the temptress is the dark side and Luke's temptation with that. And then, uh, so we've gotten to a tone with the father. Then we get to apotheosis, which is sort of, you know, the, the the big growth moment, uh, the big realization, Luke becoming one with the Force. And the, the, the crazy thing is this actually happens off screen. Like, I, I don't know. I was actually talking with Hannah about this recently, um, that it's Luke changes a lot between episodes five and six. I don't know why we never see that. It's, it's a really weird choice to have Luke, like, suddenly be so much more competent, so much more mature. In the sixth movie, maybe they're supposed to have us believe that, like, at the end of episode five, he's made that change by getting his ass kicked. But, like, it's not really... It, it's such a weird approach to it. Yeah. Because he still has some growing to do in episode six, but it's not like... Like, he's done the majority of it. Yeah. There's there's an element of it that feels very much like that third movie is leaning a lot into being the third movie and being like at that time the finale of a franchise and there's like an right. expectation i mean everything is heightened in that movie you'll yeah. talk about this next week with that movie but i see it it's like it stands kind of odd on its own apart from the other two movies i think oh yeah I mean, and that's definitely yeah it one of the reasons why is it kind of takes the characters to these new extremes that almost just like you said we skip we skip over the actual arc of luke skywalker and we get to this point where it's like it's all for the reveal it's all for this right. sort of cool moment where we can see visually he is a jedi knight now he does not look like the boy we left behind right. at the end of the last movie and in that way it is impactful Oh, it's see a, a really cool opening. Because like, you see like, a stark difference. You don't get to see him go through that growth, which is disappointing in, in a way. But for some people, the joy of him appearing in that moment, in shrouded in you right. know in shadow in that cloak, is almost force like, choking a bitch. Right. It's a cool. <laughs> I mean, that whole opening of Return operates on just sort of reveals and secrets of the bounty hunter is leia yeah. <laughs> the cool jedi knight is luke right all the twists and that turns. guard over in the corner is lando like i'm, you're... <laughs> I'm excited to get to that because I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on that that first yeah. the first act of that movie um but anyway finishing up the hero's journey the last step in the second act uh, uh is the ultimate boon which is an empire that's luke in this case getting a new hand um i, I mean I, I think that's a pretty safe interpretation of like he's completed his journey and he gets his ass kicked 
loses a hand and then gets a new cooler hand um and it is in fact cooler because it's a robot hand that's the only and at reason no point does the boy ever have to like quarrel with this hand again yeah. it's never oh, a never problem again. never he d- he's not gonna have a jamie lannister like breakdown no. of reality around this no. hand they can just simply fix it's, him a new it's one it's really like a symbolic trauma but he doesn't actually like really get that traumatized it's way more traumatizing for him finding out that darth vader is his dad well yeah absolutely i mean what's what's weird is i i just recapped the sort of the hero's journey and the plot of empire strikes back in a, in a sort of loose way but it i think that kind of highlights the the core of star wars and how the hero's journey plays a role is it's luke's story and that we didn't really even touch on han and leia at all um <laughs> no, they're, they're sort of and they're but they are really important like they have pretty much just as much screen time as luke does in the empire strikes back so i think that that's one of the ways in which as a sequel, it, it starts to evolve and to separate itself. I actually think I have one of the things I wrote down that I wanted to talk about is actually how subversive Empire is as a sequel. That it like kind of takes everything you think uh, you expect in like a Star Wars movie or in, like any sequel. You know, you have this first movie that blows up, is really popular. And then you open with like the big fucking battle and you're like, oh, wow. So the third act is going to be fucking insane. And then it's the more intimate conflict, you know? And the heroes spend the entire movie failing and losing. It's, I'm not going to get too into this because I don't want to get attacked by uh, trolls yet, but it it kind of does what The Last Jedi does in that respect. (laughs) Yeah. Where it's it's really all about, like, sort of subverting your expectations and and challenging, you know, the audience and the characters on a very personal level. And I, I think that's really interesting structurally. I mean, it's the perfect second act in that way. In that, like, it opens up and it's all big and flashy, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is Star Wars." Mm-hmm. And then everything gets smaller from there. But for the better, definitely. When you when you get to you know Luke and Vader, that's their confrontation, point. and then also Han's you know carbonite freezing, and it, it's it's a really inter- It's the opposite of what you traditionally hear in Hollywood. I mean, what's interesting too is in in a way. The stakes are higher in the third act because they're so much more personal, but you don't have the external stakes, you know? It's actually sort of like the the first movie in that way, in that, like, well, in in the reverse, in that the the third act of the first movie is, like, not really that personal. It's just, like, blow up the Death Star, save the rebellion. While, like, the end of the second act, like, in the Death Star, it's with Obi-Wan. That's when he dies. That's when he confronts Vader, you know, his old student. Um, so that's the more like personal conflict while Empire sort of sh- shakes that up. And I-, I think that just goes to show that if you really focus in on the characters, and that's going to be a consistent theme in this episode as we talk about it, uh, if you lean into the character conflict, you can make anything work. And that- that's the best way really to subvert people's expectations. And I mean that in a good way, not sort of, you know, the internet slang it's become. The internet <laughs> slur. Yeah. No, that's true. It is interesting to see this as a sequel that doesn't it does i I don't want to say it doesn't escalate because it does escalate it escalates like you said the characters arcs and the character dynamics and conflicts and like what they really have to actually accomplish at their cores but in other ways it it pulls back and it becomes a more intimate movie compared to the first one which is all about welcome to this world each scene builds upon this world and brings us something new and sort of outlandish about it and this movie sort of strips it all away it is like (laughs) a a great portion of this movie takes place in swamps and on an isolated ship yeah yeah well (laughs) that's we talked about this there's something about the 
the plot, especially of Han and Leia's plot, that's like a road trip movie in yeah. that like yeah, exactly. the the scene work itself, like the actual plotting of what happens to them is almost sort of incidental right. for it's, a good portion important. of the movie. It's it's an escape movie. They make right. their escape from Hoth. It's it's just them trying to get to a safe place in the galaxy. Right. Which like inherently is not a particularly active no, thing it's, for characters to do. <laughs> it's not. As I was re- researching for this, I saw someone wrote an article uh, talking about how Empire was the worst of the original trilogy because the plot was the least interesting. You know, you open with the, the, this, these 15 minutes where Luke fights an ice creature that doesn't matter at all in the story of Star right. Wars. And then, you know, you have the, the whole road trip with Han and Leia, which is basically just like, it's ultimately not that important in the grand scheme. No. It's just like there to force them together. But that's the point why like we're, we care so much is the entire plot. And really, I think this is sort of the thesis of my thoughts on on the film the entire plot the structure of the film is, is built so that the characters are forced to confront their flaws yeah you know i agree ha- Han hans is-, is set up um is set up the easiest hans is set up as the most like external almost right. where hans is definitely the most external hans yeah. past is catching up to him and he says pretty early on in the movie that that's what's going on and right. he's planning to leave because of this yeah. <laughs> and the reason that he stays behind ends up being for for Luke for, and, for, and Leia for yeah. I was trying to find a way to phrase it that wasn't just like for love, but it is for love. And his arc in the first movie is definitely like sincerely concrete in being about like choosing loyalty to like friends over loyalty to oneself. Um, and so there's not as big of a place a for him to go in this movie. Right, he doesn't have as much to grow. Definitely. Han, in terms of the arc, takes a backseat in Empire. What I thought was interesting is we read sort of at the last second <laughs> yeah. uh, Larry Kasdan's draft of, of the movie. And it's... This I, is a, it's a fourth way... draft of what looks like a shooting script. Right. And it's it's really different. There's way more dialogue. Like the characters kind of just monologue for a while. They're very on the nose with like setting up the arcs. Today we're going to tackle and... the great question... Is Harrison Ford a better screenwriter than Larry Kasdan? <laughs> <laughs> There's no shade to that's, Lawrence Kasdan the, the Great. That's sacrilegious in It is, in and I don't actually mean it, but it was interesting to look at this draft and to see how, like... I mean, we talk a lot about the I know, I love you, I know being, like, you know, the quintessential improvised line in this movie. And it's excellent. And it's not just, to me, it's not just excellent. We'll talk about this more as we delve into the Han and Leia arc. But to me, it's not just excellent because it's in character. Because that was Harrison Ford's thing, was, like, he wouldn't say I love you, too. He would say, and I think in this draft, it's something even more hyper-specific. Yeah. Um, he, you know, Definitely. Harrison Ford's whole thing is he wouldn't say that and improvised the I know as something in character. And it is that, but I also believe that that's the response that makes sense for their arc the and what, 100%. not for the character necessarily though, but for the arc, for what their relationship has right. been about the whole movie, which is the sense that he knows that Leia right. loves him. And he literally does it. the whole time and right. she will not admit it. No, exactly. He does know. And that's... it's like the way... Harrison Ford plays it in that moment is I think so subtle where it's like yeah it's not a dick move it's not a dick move for him to say 
I know. It's right. him it's not saying sassy. It's not. It's him. It's it's this. Oh, it's beautiful. It's him saying, "I know. I know that you loved me, and like, I, I and I understand you, you and yeah. I forgive you right. for spending this whole movie not being able to say it." It's really romantic. Said, it's so romantic. Yeah. I think the first scene that we get with Han and Leia in this movie is a great scene. And I think I appreciate it more the older I get and, like, the more I study film. There's, like, an odd subtlety to it for as much as everybody in the Star Wars movies pretty clearly says, like, what they think and what they mean in right. a very direct, almost presentational sort of dialogue way there's not a ton of hand holding or explaining in the final cut of empire in terms of like where we've been for the last three years like we've come into this from a big time jump they jump very quickly into this situation that feels like a solid status quo for like how things have been run on this base and how the dynamic has been going between like the core three and the script that we read has a lot more explaining dialogue yeah, in it. And definitely. in terms of especially, like you said, it's it, Han ends up uh, mansplaining what's going on with Leia in a way that you don't need to. And in a right. way that I found in this script ended up feeling contradictory because so here's how it's written originally that they change for I believe the better. I think this is a testament to me for like, specificity in dialogue because I'm about to highlight a change that's truly seems like the smallest change ever but makes the entire subtext of that first scene different which is that in the movie which I've seen enough times to remember this of course Han (laughs) comes in and he's telling uh what's his name like Rekin they're talking about how he's gonna leave and he's like you're an extraordinary fighter I'd hate to lose you (laughs) and Han goes to Leia and Leia of course is reacting Carrie Fisher is acting her ass off she's reacting she looks unhappy she doesn't say anything Han turns to her and he does the I guess this is it princess and she goes that's right and then he immediately gets mad and he does the whole, well, don't go getting mushy on me. So long, princess. And he storms off. And it's great because it's we can see that Leia is mad without her having to say anything. And then by the way she responds to him, we see she's not going to tell him she's mad. She's not going to say she's sad. She's absolutely unwilling to like admit that this is affecting her. And in the original script, Leia is the one who says you're leaving and Han turns to her and pretty callously says that's right and it completely changes the tone from now Leia is more open to some communication with him and Han is shutting her down which makes him seem like an asshole because that's an asshole thing to do but the way we settle on it in the movie and I wish I knew if there is another script after this draft or if it changed if it changed because I mean there's other moments in this, this too is... where I have to think like again is Harrison Ford a better writer? <laughs> well, what, what I can say is this is definitely Larry Kasdan's first draft, right? Because I, I saw parts of it that were handwritten, which I, I I've listened to so much with Larry Kasdan on like Script Notes, which is a podcast everyone should listen to, and he specifically talked about how like he wrote his first draft like by hand. They were like scrambling, yeah, and uh, I I think. I mean, especially when you look at the final draft, I have to imagine he was there and, you know, giving notes. And, and kudos to Irvin Kirshner, the director of this movie, who clearly, I mean, any interview you see with him, rest in peace, I'm pretty sure he's long dead. He's definitely long dead. Yes. <laughs> um, 
that he was always about the characters and that's the strongest part of this movie and easily what makes it stand out in the trilogy Mm -hmm. is the characters are so well highlighted and written so well and so subtly in a lot of ways i mean it's certainly subtle by star wars standards and by blockbuster standards no and exactly there there's uh, going off of what you were saying there was a line that i I wrote down that's han telling (laughs) leia that that that's you're so terrified of your emotions han literally says that to leia which of course is leia's whole arc and and something i didn't appreciate until we rewatched this a few days ago was that han again like we said doesn't really change much this is leia's movie in that respect, that like she's the one with the real arc, and while she's not necessarily as active as Han in solving their problems, because you know she's more of a politician than anything, um, she is the one who has the emotional growth and the emotional arc, which it leads up and climaxes in that beautiful "I know" moment. Which it's her finally like letting her walls down, and, and that's what it's all about. Is she she's been this general, this princess, and Han's like, we have something special here. But you're just like yeah. leaving it out to dry, right? And she's like, "Damn right, I I don't know what you're talking about." Like, well, it's like it's like I was saying with the context of like, if Leia is the person to start that conversation, of course she's then admitting a little bit that she cares about him and admitting right. that it matters to her what he does. Han, like, for all intents and purposes, for as much as he's very not straightforward about his emotions, does tend to wear his emotions on Honestly, his sleeve fairly openly. Definitely. I think it's an interesting dynamic to set up with like we expect, and I think in a way a lot of the sequel trilogy interprets Han in this way and like fandom interprets Han in this way, which is the whole scoundrel who can't be tied down to nothing, which, yeah, that's who he is in A New Hope when we meet him. But by, by the, the end, end of that movie, movie he, he yeah. has arced into not being that person And he stuck anymore. around for three years. Literally, that's that what we I see. Always, I've always talked about Han's arc in Empire. I've always talked about him as if he's had an arc and that he gets even more loyal, but that's not really his journey in this movie. He's already made the decision. He, in this Larry Kasdan draft, this fourth draft, has some line where he's like, you know, here's what it is. I've had it with your noble mission. I mean, he's really lying in that in that case, and it, it, it never even makes it into the finished movie because he's just kind of committed to the cause, and the reason he's leaving is because he's afraid, like, he's going to get all their, you know, the bounty hunters like on his ass and caught up in the rebellion like it's it, yeah you could almost interpret it as sort of a self-sacrificial thing that's what i was gonna say there's almost this element if he had an arc at all which again he doesn't have one but i think if he did really have a concrete one in this movie it would be one about taking responsibility because right. that is what it is in the end him yes. going into the carbonite right. is essentially Han Solo taking responsibility for the first time in his life for right. all of this shit he's been running from. He doesn't yeah. really have a choice right. to choose to do this, but it is what he does Definitely. in the end. And he doesn't and he does accept it ultimately. But yeah, there's this some, something that really bothers me, which is people remember the introduction of a character, remember them as the scoundrel, scruffy right. looking nerf herder, and forget that the whole the whole trilogy features a, a huge hark for hark a huge arc for han right. <laughs> where yeah he ends up being somebody who who then by the end of return of the jedi is committed to the cause fully, as well fully, without yeah. leia even being involved right while in this movie you could argue you know he stuck around these three years for leia by the end of you know return he's completely committed to being commander solo he's definitely I, well i i think 
ton. And I actually think, uh, I mean, I don't want to keep talking about different movies when we're, we're you know, supposed to it's be fine. It's a trilogy. Man. Well, no, because what I was going to reference was the solo, uh, solo movie, if you will. Mm. Um, that yes, there's indeed there there's uh, mixed things to say about that movie. That's a movie Larry Kasdan co-wrote with his son, actually. And I think Larry Kasdan probably gets Han Solo in, in a way a lot of writers don't. Um, but that he's very loyal in that movie mm-hmm. to, to the, the people he cares about. And I think that's a, a trait with Han, which he acts like a scoundrel. But that's the heart of gold thing, right? Like, yeah. that's the whole point of that archetype, that, like, lone gunman with the heart of gold is, like, he is deeply loyal. He's deeply loyal yeah. to Luke. He's deeply loyal to Leia. He's he's clearly deeply loyal to Chewbacca, who's his, like, right. actual life partner. Like, he, he, he cares a lot, and even to the rebellion. Like, he ultimately never leaves it once he joins it. That's, not once. No. I, I mean, not even in, in, like, any of the expanded material. Like, he, he gets tempted, but he never – he always sticks around. Like, he's – deeply loyal it's one of his like best it's one of his traits. core traits and yeah, yeah one of his best traits and i think plays into to jump back again to the beginning of the movie but like plays into the dynamic between him and leia is he knows he's stuck around for her for three years and oh, that yeah. he is loyal to her and i love the way that you can tell in the way that harrison ford plays it and then in the way that that like you know that final shooting draft comes out of like it's all out of hurt. It's There's no level of, like, Han's being an asshole. Han is feels entitled. It's like right. Han clearly feels hurt about the way that Leia is being withholding from him. We talked about this while we were watching this, about how, like, it, they leave a lot to the imagination in these, this three-year period. But there's a lot to speculate in terms of... What happened. What's been going on between well, them for well, three years. So that, that actually ties into something which I, I don't think is talked a lot about in Star Wars fandom, not to get all, like, nerdy in here, but uh, <laughs> I that comes with the territory for me. Um... That he has a line where he says uh, later on in the movie, in, the, in this draft, the Larry Kasdan draft, that you haven't been thinking about that kiss well before they have their big iconic kiss in the I movie. I saw that. Which implies that they've kissed between the two movies. So that like, was my wonder, was in that scene, because, remind me, does he say that in the scene when Luke gets back from being injured and has been in the back to tank? I think and, so, yeah. yeah. And so... My question was first, yeah, is that, so are we to believe that they have kissed before pre this, or is that a moment of like Han yanking her chain and bullshitting because Luke is there? Because also, uh, you definitely could interpret it that way. Also, but... what happens in this draft that becomes then again so different from the film is a very genuine romantic beat between Luke and Leia that made me shiver and shrivel inside to read to be clear this is in the script this, this is, is obviously script. not this in the is final in the script movie. is not in the, well actually in the final movie they kiss so i guess it doesn't matter that, in yes. the end yeah they both have incest but in the script there's a very deliberate and again it's it's pretty on the nose it has luke doing a whole leia you know how i feel about you but i think it was interesting that they were going for a more direct love triangle initially prior to figuring out the Skywalker lineage. Right. Because I think it doesn't serve a purpose then, because then Luke and Leia proceed to never be together again for no. the rest of the movie. We talked about this too. Yeah, There's only not. that one scene, and that one scene is the only time that all three of those leads are in this movie together. Right, right. I, that's an important thing to note. Again, on sort of the subverting what you expect is like, you introduce this great trio with a great dynamic, and then in The Empire Strikes Back, they have one scene together. And it's a scene scene. 
not an inconsequential scene, but it's very much a scene that exists to forward, like, the character arcs. Yeah. It's the only thing that really truly happens in that scene... For Han and Leia. Is for Han and Leia. Is for Han and Leia to bicker a bit and for Leia to kiss Luke to make Han jealous, which that's played so well in the final version that I don't think you can ever read that moment as a genuine Luke right. and Leia moment. It's so clear no. that she's doing it to make Han jealous. And it's so clear afterwards the way Luke props his hands up behind know, his head and like, like leans back that he's taken the piss out of Han for exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. I had this the question. The is so good in that It scene. is really good. It's I just, had this, That whole moment is just uh, gold. I had this question while we were watching it too because there's a little moment which I was like, I meant to sort of look in the script, but then in this script, that scene ended up being so different anyway because it's, it's Luke yeah, and Leia. It's not the same at all. It's also Luke and Leia almost kiss, and then they still get interrupted by C three PO. So I think that was a, a running gag that they were going. No, for it's with this the, initially. getting interrupted by C three PO. It doesn't happen in this one. <laughs> Does Le- it not? No, Leia pulls away in, oh, in the big kiss yeah, with you're Han. Right, you're right. You're she right. She pulls away from Han and and uh, is just like, I can't. I don't. I don't want this. Have you? Ugh boring have you seen the um the extended scene of the kiss the slightly extended kiss i don't think so it's better than the one they use in the movie i'm i'm feel confident to say that because it's almost the same kiss it's the kiss we see up until so you know have you noticed this before there's a very obvious jump cut in that scene we cut from them kissing in the close in the close-up when they're, like, leaned up against the wall and Leia's hands are, like, down by her sides, basically. They're kissing. And then we cut to the wide and then suddenly, yeah, Yeah. they're holding each other in an embrace. That's because there's an extended version of the scene which makes it a lot more clearly, like, they kiss, Leia pulls back for a second, and she goes, it's so hot. She goes, Okay, hot shot. And then they kiss again. The hands come up in the hair, like, around him. (laughs) And then they get interrupted. And I'm like, that's an even sexier kiss. Because it's also... It completely dispels any problems people have with, right. like, the consent issues of that scene, well, that- which I will always defend as fairly minor. It's a matter of he's pushing her buttons and flirting with her in a way that is working, and it's the baby it's cold outside response of the only way she can respond is as right. if he is a scoundrel she's not interested in. But that moment... I wish they had kept it because it's the moment where it fully yeah, becomes great. a and game it's clear between that them. It's, yeah. it's a clear game for them. I, I and I, I think that was, that was one of the things I just wanted to really quickly touch on was that when I rewatched the movie, I definitely was one of the people who was like, uh, "This scene's a little icky now." Like you know, I was in high right. school, I rewatched the movie, and but it was only on this latest time that I I like fully clicked how consensual that scene actually feels. Mm-hmm. Like, she is saying no, and in that way, like, it does get a little more complicated. Definitely. But, like, she clearly is, like, into him in that entire scene, especially with the added bit of knowing that they've apparently kissed before. Right. This, that, like, that she's, like, really turned on in that moment. <laughs> and she he goes, is. like, she, you're trembling. And it's, like, it's not that she's scared. It's that she's aroused. She is aroused. Thanks for saying that. She continues <laughs> to do... What she has been doing, which is to just deny it and right. to deny. And here's if which if is the she point of were... her like that's the arc. Like that's right. another big part of it is the entire point is she does not open up. Right. Well, and if we're to presume that in that scene she actually has a problem with him holding her finger, rubbing her finger after she hurts it, that's 
half of what's so sexy about that scene anyway. She hurts her finger and he comes in and he starts like rubbing it and she tells him to stop that. And he's like, why? And her response is such a non-answer. She says, my hands are dirty. Right. My hands are dirty? Obviously not how consent should work in the real world. But it's it's like the Harlequin romance novel thing of like, there's a point in time and Star Wars is this confusing thing of like, is this an old world with old world values or a new right. world with new technology? But all things considered, I think of Leia as a character. She's a princess. She's nobility. She's from, from what we see in the movies, at least, a fairly chaste and like peaceful planet. Right. Like she's from this certain Definitely. lifestyle. Right. And it's, like I said, the baby it's cold outside thing of, like, you go back to the 50s, you go to this time period where women aren't allowed a level of sexual autonomy. They still have it. They still have sexual desires. Leia has sexual desires for Han, clearly, from the way she acts around him and the way she talks to him. But she can't express them in a way that's comfortable for her as a character, like, for her as a person, and for, like probably the world she has grown up in yeah that's a really interesting point what's so sexy about you know the baby it's cold outside is not the girl in baby it's cold outside is not saying please leave me alone i have to go home she's saying i should go home i should be doing these things i shouldn't stay the night with a handsome man who i've had a great evening with when basically the point i'm making essentially is that like when a woman is in a position where sexual autonomy is not like agreeable to her society or to the people around her she doesn't technically have full capability of consent which is how we end up with scenes like this which like because they are fictional because this isn't a real situation i as a woman a lot of women can indulge in what's like attractive about the fantasy of a guy who can see through all the walls you have to put up because of your society because of your position as a princess han can see through that and see but you want to fuck you want to bone you you heard it here in the first folks the the feminist reading of what has been considered a problematic scene and it is still a problem you can still consider it a problematic scene but like i believe in interpreting things through the characters you know right if these were different characters in a different situation it would have a completely different context right it could be it's all about the context and again that's what i think this movie ends up being really good at is setting the context for han and leia scenes in a way where yeah you understand these characters even though both of them in their own ways aren't capable of saying what they think or what they feel and part of why this draft that we read bumps in so many ways is they're mean they're mean and well half of the time they can't say what they feel right right? and then the other half of the time they totally can't there's a bunch of stuff in this script where luke tells leia he's thinking about leaving and she kind of freaks out at him because she's upset about han leaving too and she does this whole thing where she's like you can't count on anybody han's leaving now you're leaving and it's like the whole point is that leia can't admit that it bothers her that Hans leaving. Right. The whole point is that it doesn't like, make sense for her. It wouldn't make yeah, sense for her be to be able. And Han tells Leia, like you said, you wrote it down. He literally says, "You're so terrified of your own emotions." There's also this draft is significantly more sexist. Yep. Um, there, I that too. there is a line in here that is so much worse to me than anything that uh, makes it in the final film, and I'm going to find it. Real quick, 
I was like, Han, I was like offended because I like for all that Han Solo is, don't you kind of feel like he respects women? I mean, clearly, like, after all the characterization he's had now in like a billion movies and shit, we don't, like, he does respect women. We don't really get the sense he's that a flirt, he, he's but a he flirt, respects but women. he respects women. Yeah. Which I think is... Here it is. Yeah. Here it is. If this line had ended up in the film, I would not be happy with these two characters being together because this is what he says to her. This is after she says, I just as soon kiss a Wookiee, which instead of the excellent retort... I can arrange that. We get, there's no accounting for taste. Believe me, you could use a good kiss. You've spent so much time doing your duty and giving orders. You've never learned how to be a woman. It's a shame because you've got all the makings for one. I could have helped you plenty in that department if you'd have let go for a minute. But it's too late now, sweetheart. Your big opportunity is flying out of here. If he had said that to her... It ruins it. Blood it in ruin, the streets. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate... Han Solo is easily my favorite character in these movies. And that man would be dead to me if he spoke to her like that. No, it's crazy. He, he mansplains her entire arc and, and also right. womanhood. And then it, it gets and all... It's just misogynistic. It and is. Well, and it also has... It feels out of character. It feels out of character. And it feels like it does have that, like... That... Sh- Again, not to... The man's a great. I'm not shitting on Lawrence Kasdan. (laughs) I'm saying it has that shitty first draft vibe of like worrying that of just like worrying that your audience isn't gonna get what you're going for. It seems like in this draft, he's worried the audience isn't gonna pick up on what's going on between Han and Leia. Whereas we see this now in a scene that ends up having probably like ten lines. It's all there. It's all concrete and totally in there, and it's snappy. Well, I think that's part of why I feel like the writing is so much stronger in Empire than either of the other two movies is that it trusts the audience more. Yeah. Star Wars, I think one of the consistent issues is it does not trust the audience. You know, the the dialogue is very on the nose. It You know, it, it, it is meant for children, as George Lucas has said, but in a way that, like, it's less like Pixar, you know, where it's like, oh, we trust... That kids are smart enough to get this, that anyone is smart enough to get this, and more like, oh, this is the Hollywood exec note of like, but isn't it really clever if you state Leia's arc and have someone else tell it to her? Right. And then you're just, you read the line and you're like, oh, you can't can't stand your emotions, whatever the exact line was. It just sounds so clunky. As opposed to you watch the scene and you get it. You get like Mm -hmm. Leia cannot open up. Yeah. You know, it's it's there. Everything is there. They they accomplish the exact same things with fewer words, staying more in character. You know, and I, which I think is actually a lesson to be learned uh, from this is that you know, oftentimes less is more. And you know, it's fine to write a first draft where you vomit everything out. You know, that's the where the term vomit draft comes yeah. from. But like, don't be afraid to pull back in later drafts and be like, okay, what do I absolutely need? And trust your actors, too, to know that they're going to be able to pull off the emotions. Yeah. I, mean, I think I that's almost... a big thing for a screenwriter is trusting that the people will, like, the actors will perform the part well. And I guess that doesn't always happen, but uh, certainly if you're making fucking Star Wars, you can trust Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher to play the part. I have a question. Do you think that Luke and Han explored each other's bodies when they were okay, on Okay, we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to drag us back to uh, the screenwriting, which I was going to do anyway, but now definitely. This is what Hannah said she was going to do, that she was going to put us way off track. And I was waiting for us to get into the Han and Luke fanfic, but we we finally did it. (laughs) Anyway, 
so what we sort of started this whole tangent was talking about the way that the plot sort of builds up the character arcs. And we've talked a lot about Han and Leia. And I do want to talk about Luke now, you know, our, our hero. Uh, that he also, while he spends most of this movie just training, that is for me now my favorite part of the movie. And I was telling you about this, that like Dagobah, not only I think is really interesting and has a lot of philosophy, which appeals to me as just a, a fan, but it's it's meant to isolate Luke and force him to confront his own reckless behavior, his own insecurities, his immaturity, that he's stuck with one other person and a droid, and that one other person is the most, like, lackadaisical, like, <laughs> fuck-off hermit, you know? <laughs> like, he, he's... Yoda is actively testing Luke's patient at, at the beginning. He knows who Luke is from the instant he sees yeah. Luke. Although he plays dumb... He totally knows who Luke is. And the entire point of him then, like, getting Luke to come and eat dinner with him is to make Luke, who is impatient, like, that's his, like, big, most obvious flaw, is, like, he's like, well, where the fuck is Yoda? Tell me yeah. where Yoda is. And Yoda's like, do or do not, or eat dinner. There is no, I don't know what I'm saying. But the point is <laughs> that there's a lot of, like, Yoda's testing him, and he's playing yeah. around with him. And it's he began his training the instant that he crash landed on that planet. And mm-hmm. I and I think that's something that is especially on a first watch maybe hard to appreciate is how much of that is really the entire sequence on Dagobah is about honing in on what is wrong with Luke, like what he is flawed, what he's not getting, what's not connecting with him, and then challenging him on those specific things. So it challenges his insecurity, his oh, I I can't do it. And Yoda's like, "Well, that's why you fail." You know, you know, it's challenging his recklessness and his desire to protect his friends above, like, all other things. You know, it's that sort of temptation. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting the way that this movie sort of hones in by isolating the characters into the purest sort of torment for them to challenge them and force them to grow. Yeah. You and I struggled to sort of, at first, put into words what Luke's arc is about in this movie. Because it's not, it's not so clearly written in where it's like Luke needs to learn to be like the way Leia's is where it's almost very clearly set up Leia needs to learn to be emotionally open I think Luke's Luke's arc is broader I think Luke's is broader it's literally to become a Jedi and embody the Jedi values well that's what I was uh, we talked about this I there's something sort of interesting about like presentness I was thinking about this a lot about Luke's his flaws are shown as like he's impulsive he's impatient he's like He's somebody who's living in every moment except the present one. And so he has to, like, hone himself in on, like, the here and the now. And I forget. There was something more interesting that I had to say than that, but I don't remember what it was. Well, yeah, but, I mean, what you're saying I think think is exactly true. And this was something that I was grappling with earlier because I'm like, there's so much that compels me about Luke's arc over Star Wars, over, over the whole story. But it's so much broader. And I was like, well, how do you get away with that? Especially in a movie like Empire that is so character focused. And I, I mean, I think it helps that they have three movies. Frankly, I think that's the biggest part of why they can get away with Luke having such a broad arc. And I think that also goes to show that, like, it's not a rule. You know, I think a lot of screenwriting instruction is, like, make it very clear what the arc is. And also, you know, the sort of thing they do in this draft where they have, you know, they state Leia's arc. They have Han state Leia's arc. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of a common rule of thumb but i i think you can do more if you have the space for it and that's sort of what luke has to do and also part of why i'm disappointed that we don't really get to see him 
grow after he finds out Vader's his dad. Like, that's such a crucial moment. There's so... It's ripe for material, you know? Um, And I know some of the comic books are actually exploring that right now, um, I believe. But I have not read them yet. Um, And I, I just think it's a missed opportunity in the movies. Because that's sort of, I think, the missing piece in Luke's arc is how he goes from, you know, the kid who, like, had to leave everything behind to save his friends, who, like did not believe you could raise the X-Wing with the Force, like, who was nowhere near being a Jedi to, like, you know, still not maybe 100% being there, but, like, kicking ass, taking names, having grappled with the fact that Vader's his dad and is like, I'm going to save his ass. He's redeemable. Yeah. And at the end of Empire, he's not there yet. He's, he's like, is still kind of in shock. Like, he's still, like, right. holy shit, Darth Vader is my dad. Right. There's been no time at all to process that. And I agree. I think that's some of where... In hindsight, like, where I can start to find nitpicks with, with Star Wars in general is I think about how how many interesting places there are to go with these characters that we just never did because it was a contained trilogy in, right. from 1977 to 1983 that, like, I'm fascinated by thinking about, again, where Luke goes after finding out that his father, who he previously thought was this dead hero dead but he yeah a dead hero a dead jedi knight is an entirely different figure to have as your father to then have that torn down and shattered and to see that your father is not only just like crucially like evil bad now but is like directly has been targeting like you your friends your cause has destroyed the the planet i mean that's sort of what i talked about when i was talking about the hero's journey is that ultimately vader in the original trilogy exists to serve Luke's story mm-hmm. and that he, he exists to challenge Luke. He exists to represent everything Luke is afraid he will become yeah. and he's everything that Luke hates. And so Luke has to reckon with that. And Luke reckons with that hate largely off screen. He does some in Return of the Jedi, like that's he loses it on Vader when the Emperor uh, is like, you know, right. he's going to, uh, I forget exactly what he says, but he threatens Leia basically. Yeah. And the, the, Vader exists for Luke's story. And it, it's such a shocking moment, and that's why the twist works so well, is because he's built up to be sort of the epitome of everything the characters are fighting against. And then suddenly you realize, oh, this shit's personal. This is the character's father. And also, I mean, th- this is a thing that I think people do talk about a lot, which is that, like, the nuance introduced with Vader in this movie, I think, is really interesting. That suddenly, he was just a force of nature in episode yeah. four. Like, that's all he was. He just goes around kicking ass, like, killing Obi-Wan. Like, you get hints maybe of his pathos and his conversation with Obi-Wan, but really it's in this movie when, you know, he's confronted with the Emperor who's like, you have to kill Luke, and Vader's like, but he'd be a really fucking powerful ally, wouldn't he? It's really subtle writing that you you maybe don't get on your first viewing, but on your second, knowing that he's Luke's father, you're like, oh, he's trying to protect his son. Yeah. He still wants to protect his son, and it introduces so many more layers to his character, too. Even... I mean, very literally in this movie, they show us Vader's skin yeah. for the first time. He's literally more vulnerable. We see, yeah. we see truly, yeah, the most vulnerable part of him. We see yeah. the back of, we see that man's soft palate. <laughs> so wait, right. what's it called? No. So what's the soft spot called that babies have? We straight up see like the softest part of his skull, all veiny and pale and pasty. Yeah. And it's, and that too is like a very small moment. I do think this movie ends up being sort of an exercise in subtleties yeah. 
and intimacies within what is still ultimately like an epic grand sort of force of storytelling it's well that's why the the plot is so much less dramatic in in effect it's less externally like complicated because so much of the stakes are internal like Mm -hmm. it's yeah Han and Leia are just running away from the Empire. Like, it's the same thing happening for half the movie. Luke is just training. Training Mm -hmm. is among the least interesting things I can think of for a character to do. But it's so interesting because it challenges the character's flaws. It digs deep into, like, how they have to change. And it's why I think this is the widely considered the best movie. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about the characters in a way that the others are not. You talked about vader becoming more three-dimensional in this and i also want to talk about lando lando is great yeah lando is immediately great this was something that we talked about as we were watching Mm -hmm. it is they they make him immediately three-dimensional and interesting which is not something you expect from a side character introduced in the second film in a blockbuster franchise introduced very late near the end right with just a third of the movie left to go yeah that it, it, it completely lando is introduced as a rogue. Like, you don't know if you can trust him, but he's loyal to his people. I mean, it gets back to that loyalty thing where, like, he's, like, clearly cares about his mining colony. He cares about, you know, taking care of his people, and that's why he does what he does. And you could argue maybe there's a level of it that's self-serving, that's tied to his ego, but ultimately... I also... I don't think that's an argument really worth having because how does that enhance really our understanding of lando or the story well, he also so much turns more around like... and joins the rebellion when he's forced exactly to. that's what i and mean he sticks with it i mean he's the one who destroys the death star that's what right? i mean i mean we can like, speculate about death star. how much anybody's ego has to do with what they do but like right. it's star wars which i think broadly is so much does is about like what the characters do and it's about how the yeah. characters actions like show like han leaves in a new hope and then comes back and you like, know that coming back is an action that shows his character and he like doesn't have said, to say anything it's so much about actions and it's so much about uh they they say so often what they feel and even yeah. though this movie pulls back on that to an extent i i bet if you watch it, Lando never tells a lie in that movie beyond... No, there's even that like clever line where he's like, in the beginning, he's like, oh, and I've just made a deal that'll get the Empire like forever off my back. Like, he, he's... It, it is cleverly written where he's not telling the full truth. Yeah. He's not like, Han and Leia, you have to get out of here. The Empire's here, you know, because he's still playing against them. But he's also like, he's being honest about how mm-hmm. he feels about everything. He genuinely likes Han. That's you what know? I was going to say. And Han fucking took his spaceship that he is it, obsessed with. Like It comes back to the the good subtext of this movie, which is that at no point does Lando have to say anything that's like, I like you, Han, but this is what had to be done. Right. He never has to. He does justify to them like a bit why he does it, but it doesn't have to be this like. I, I appreciate this the way that this movie in a way that like I didn't when I was a kid because I think I remember being a kid uh, young enough watching this movie that I kind of wished more things were spelled out because I was like <laughs> yeah, I right. don't really get it. So may- maybe this draft was right. So and maybe for the draft... children they do need to just say everything. But then when I think about that I think well why would children want to watch this movie about like intense <laughs> personal character right, growth they that badly. Yeah, they want more of the lasers and, and shit. This movie strikes a fine balance in the it really does. having the action that you need and having 
I mean, a veritable Muppet on set <laughs> right. to keep things lively. Everyone loves it. Yoda's my, like, fucking favorite But I, I do think movie. about that a lot with, like, Lucas and other people saying that Star Wars is for kids. Because it is. It is for kids. But this movie, I think that sells this movie short, especially with how, like, not pandery and not handholdy it ends up yeah, being definitely. in the end. Well, and I think... I, kind of tying things back to the way that everything in this movie is built to challenge the characters and play up their arcs and their flaws. That's what Lando is for, for Han. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, Leia, that he's literally there to be sort of this like other side of the coin of, of Han Solo, which is why I think it's really interesting that he survives the whole trilogy and like gets to be a good guy. Because he's introduced an empire to be a foil for Han, to, to challenge him, to be like, oh, I'm also, I'm this rogue made good just like you right we have i can a do everything together. i can flirt better than you can i'm smoother than you are he's really in a lot of ways like the perfect foil to han the only way that he'd be even more perfect is if he actually was a bad guy and like actually was like violent and deadly like yeah. you sort of combined him and like boba fett but that's the role that boba fett plays is that he's sort of the dark bounty hunter the dark criminal and those two are sort of the the two sides of like where han could go and... That's actually a great point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, Lando is sort of Han's growth direction of where he goes if he becomes this like leader figure right. of who he can become if he sticks with the rebellion. Lando is also the introduction of real gr- gray morality. Lando does not betray them for any level of, like, personal gain, for any level. Vader hasn't promised him anything other than the survival of his people. Vader's not giving him... Yeah, yeah, Vader's not giving him, like, a position as a right-hand man or something. He's not going to give him his ship back. I really do appreciate the way that, like, Lando's not pitted against the main characters by the narrative. They're all victims of the Empire and that's why they can ultimately be allies to right, each other. Right. Um and I, I love the way all of that is handled and all the way all of it is done. Lando's a great character. Lando's really, great. I mean that's why he's <laughs> keeps coming back. Like people love Lando and Billy D. Williams is a big part of that because Billy D. Williams is fucking amazing. Yeah. But like that character is written really well from the get go, from his very first scene. He is maybe the best introduction of any character in Star Wars. That he gets to start and it's so ambiguous. You don't know what to expect. Like there's tension immediately. And he gets has so much personality. And I just oh I love it. It's the it. first time you've seen anybody challenge Han in that way or like sort of somebody be the, on his level in a way. alpha to like yeah Han, somebody right? who yeah. can intimidate Han in the way right. that Han's always sort of posturing and intimidating others Han's reactionary in that which in in a way he's not typically and it's really yeah it's really compelling I mean again Lando is that foil to Han and it's perfect again if there's if there's anything you take away from this constructing the whole story around like forcing your character to change, making them face their flaws and who they are, their arc. That's the way to get the truest, most powerful emotional story out of it. Um, so we are, we are getting pretty late on time. There's one last thing I want to add. You're going to have to edit out all the nonsense I said anyway. <laughs> I hope that gets to stick around. Um, the, the last thing to kind of tie everything together, I think, is that in every story, there is inevitably a dark point that is sort of brings the character to their lowest point that forces them to change in the hero's journey that is often the atonement with the father the apotheosis it's sort of a, a symbolic death and an empire that th- this is obviously the darkest movie 
in three-act structure as, as Hollywood uses it. It typically happens at the end of the second act, and I'll get into that in a later episode. But this dark night of the soul, this ultimate low point for the characters, really is perfectly utilized and perfectly hit. Again, in a way, I don't think I'd always appreciate it, which is that Luke not only finds out Vader is his father, he not only loses Han, his friend, and so fails yet again someone that he loves, but he loses his hand and sort of the lightsaber and everything that he thinks makes a Jedi up to that point. Like, he's all about kicking ass, and so it... Again, I'm so sad we don't get to see this, but that he's forced to confront the fact it's like, well, who am I without the lightsaber? Right. You know, what sort of hero am I without it? What, what does the force mean? Luke loses his lightsaber. Vader is perfectly there right in his weakest moment to embody, like, you could fall to the dark side. You could, you know, this is who you could become. And so it's truly the, the perfect low moment for him. For Leia, her entire arc of that movie is opening up, and right when she does, she loses the man she loves. And for Han, immediately the conflict that's set up with him is his past is coming back to haunt him. And ultimately he loses. He loses mm-hmm. to his past. He gets captured. Basically could have been dead before the next movie came out. Like, who knows? Maybe Han was going to end up dead. Harrison Ford wanted him to die. What's wild to me is that that's what Harrison says before every time he appears in a Star Wars movie, this dude keeps being like, I hope they kill Han Solo. I'm never going to do one of these movies again. And then he does. He does another one, I know. He does another one. Even episode nine, Even he was when like, they, they killed, killed him, him off him. for good. They killed him, he was killed like, him, yeah, and that pay me a million back. dollars, I'll come back. I just don't believe him anymore. No, that's true. He's I just, bullshitting. I wouldn't be surprised. The same way did. I don't believe yeah. that man has a pilot's license. <laughs> And that's, I think, a perfect place to end it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Hannah, where can people find you? Do you want people to find you or do you want to stay <laughs> hidden? They can find me. You can find me on Twitter at Normal Sexy Lady. And I'm Hannah Shashelsky on TikTok. This is great because I haven't given them even my social media stuff. So congrats. You're the first. Do you I don't have know social media it. stuff? I have like Reddit and Instagram. Anyway, uh, tune in again. I'm launching with three episodes, so the Return of the Jedi episode will already be out when you're listening to this. See you again next time. Keep it breezy over easy, folks. This has been Popcraft. Popcraft.